Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I am the ghost am of the Christmas past. When we think of when the ghosts of Christmas past, there are many, of course, in supply chains. And I'm going to take you through a brief history of where we've traveled. And the lesson here is to learn where we are today from the past. So, so, In this Christmas special, this is the first of three episodes looking at past, present, and future of supply chains. I look at the road travelled by supply chain professionals over the past half century and more, noting that the phrase supply chain itself was only coined back in 1982 in an Outlook magazine article by Oliver and Weber. And then it was simply looking at what went on in a single firm. It's remarkable to think of all the parts that had to come together to make up the total supply chain system we recognise today reorganizing production flows, seeking efficiency, and focusing on customers has led to the many developments discussed in the episode. Time is money. If you can reduce time in processes in the supply chain, then it takes out cost, while output remains constant. Therefore, productivity increases and value is enhanced. Since Henry Ford developed his automobile plant, company owners and managers have sought ways to achieve this. Frederick Winslow Taylor, Speedy Taylor as he was known, was a consultant engineer to Ford, and he studied and observed time taken for activities in production systems, seeking ways to reduce it. Taylor developed the principles of scientific management, Engineers had always searched for efficiency in developing machines, and now this skill was applied to organizational management processes. His ideas led to surge in work-study engineers across manufacturing industry, and his legacy can be seen in the international standards such as the ISO 9000 quality standards. Standardization for routine, repetitive activities meant that times could be set determining production times and line flow speeds. These ideas were applied and developed in military production 
making machinery including vehicles, planes, ships and weaponry for two world wars in the last century. Efficiency is the focus for the production and supply system. Peter Drucker, back in 1973, said on Taylor's scientific management rests above all the tremendous surge of affluence in the last 75 years, which has lifted the working masses in the developed countries well above any level recorded, even for the well-to-do. Many of the ideas developed to improve efficiencies in supply chains had their roots in Taylor's legacy of scientific management in the first decade of the 20th century. We can list a litany of techniques and tools that have been developed following through on Taylor's ideas. Workflow management and organisation, capacity planning, throughput measures, plan-do-check-act cycles, the resource-based view of organisations, distribution requirement planning, materials requirement planning, inventory management, continuous replenishment, just-in-time, total quality management, Kaizen, quality standards, standard costing, business process re-engineering, lean thinking, manufacturing, agile, li-agile, time-based competition, standard time measurement, tact time, value added amongst them. The purpose of a supply chain is not simply to be efficient, although that is a good start. It is to focus on the customer. It is the customer who determines what a business is. It is the customer alone whose willingness to pay for a good or for services converts economic resource into wealth. What the business thinks it produces is not of first importance. What the customer thinks he or she is buying, what he or she considers value is decisive. It determines what a business is, what it produces and whether it will prosper. So said Peter Drucker back in 1973. The two key messages from the ghosts of Christmas past are that efficiency and effectiveness are the key aims of all supply chains. It is at our peril we lose sight of that. When we think of the ghost of Christmas past and all the past times in supply chains, there have been some magnificent developments and it's, it's happened over the past 70 years or so. The organisation of workflows, beginning with the Toyota production system and getting those improvements. And even before that, with uh, Speedy Taylor and Henry Ford, when they were working to make the plant in Michigan more efficient, there was lots of interest in measuring production and production systems and seeking to take time out of the system. And the emphasis was on reducing time in a system because time meant money, of course. And so taking time out meant that you'd improve the flow and reduce wastage. And that was a continuing aim throughout the industrial era. Mapping supply chains, seeking delays getting rid of the blockages and removing wastage. And the Japanese manufacturers took that to a different level with their interest in quality and quality systems driven by Deming, Duran, 
and Om and Om, and the other quality gurus of that time. So Kaizen was the search for the Mura, the Muda, and the Murai. So there's seven different types of waste that were looked at, and you can read about those in supply chain books, including mine. And there was a, an emphasis on making things smooth, and seeking time-based competition was part of this, looking at just-in-time, quick response, efficient consumer response, and the whole idea of lean thinking and lean manufacturing, sometimes called the big jet, was really a way of lowering cost out of a system, making that system more efficient. And efficiency is a good aim, and it's still an aim of a supply chain. There's no point in designing systems that aren't efficient. It's just fallacy to think that you would do that. You want efficient systems, because efficient systems mean lower cost, and it means lower prices for consumers at the end of supply chains. If somebody's going to pay for waste, and it's either the manufacturer or the suppliers or the network is paying for wastage, they just pass it on to the customer. And that's back to the bad old days of production-driven ideas, making for stock, and just having things available for when you can. Well, I've talked about just-in-time and the benefits that just-in-time brings with regard to efficiencies in supply chains. And... I've also talked about the problems with just-in-time as being just too late and also the idea that resilient supply chains must not slip back to just-in-case. Just-in-case simply means that you're holding too much inventory. I can recall in my early career working with an engineer that used to keep various stock items in one of his filing cabinets, just in case. And they were quite expensive items, but they were there for years. Never used. Brand new. Right through to obsolescence. So just in case is not the solution. And so we, we experience those changes, and then we experience the changes of the total quality management movement, the ideas of world-class manufacturing and benchmarking and benchmarking the organisation against competition to see how you're performing in an industry or across industries and simply wanting to be that world-class leader in the industry. Then there were the ideas grouped together under flexible manufacturing, flexible supply, Agility is a form of flexibility, seeking out the opportunities as and when they arise. And having supply chains that are agile means that you can be effective and deliver goods to the customer when required. And this goes along with making supply chains resilience. Agile supply chains are resilient supply chains. But resilient supply chains should not Ignore efficiency. Should assess the risk and work out 
how large that risk is, the size of the risk, and mitigate the risk by taking effective steps through effective supply chain management. And then we had all the developments of distribution requirement planning, material requirement planning in its various guises, always a very early stage process, DRP and MRP were early in the developments. And then later, after we looked at world-class manufacturing and so on, we had the idea of zero defect. But before I come to that, I just want to talk about uh, ABC. Let's learn our ABCs and how important that is for inventory. It's the Pareto effect, of course, the 80-20 rule. So this was the Pareto idea that... uh, 80% of the value was tied up in 20% of the stock items, the SKUs. And if you knew that, you had to concentrate your efforts on what they called ABC, the the A items being the 80-20, the next 10% accounted for by 30% of the items, and the final 10% by 50% of the items. But you don't want to concentrate on those C items, the 50% of SKUs because they only represent 10% of the value. It's the 80% to focus on. That's where the big money's tied up in inventory, in the A items. You need to concentrate on those SKUs that have the highest value. And so that was the idea of zero defects in any system is a quality measure. You're essentially making goods without defect. You're designing systems, quality systems, that can make goods without defect. If you want zero defects, that's the idea of Six Sigma, which is basically six standard deviations, three in the minus areas and three in the plus areas on a normal distribution, so that you have the six standard deviations. And from a quality point of view, if you've got a normal distribution curve with three sigma to the left of the mean and three sigma to the right of the mean, everything that lies under the normal distribution curve is effectively within the zero defect area. 99.99% recurring. So that's what the zero defect calculation is. And if everything is within six sigma, you've got zero defects. And then there was the idea of business process re-engineering. Look at all the steps that were involved to re-engineer processes, to drive out wastage. And then we've got sourcing, offshoring, nearshoring, onshoring, and reshoring, all terms that are fairly self-explanatory. Offshoring made things cheaper. Nearshoring made the transport costs lower, even if the cost of the goods was a little higher. Onshoring makes the cost higher if you've got high labour costs in the onshore area, but there's no transportation costs. So these are trade-offs that you've got to balance in the sourcing process. And then transportation, ships, rail, air, trucks, drones, driverless trucks, and so on. Those are the choices that we have to move goods around in the modern age. Backhauling was a really good development because we used to have trucks traveling back from a delivery empty and if you can drive the truck back with goods in it you've basically halved the cost it's uh, lowering the cost because you're driving goods on the backhaul not just on the 
front hall, the outward hall. Then there was cross docking where you could just drive a truck into a distribution depot and the container or the goods on the truck could just be moved across to the next delivery truck to move onwards without much time involved at all. Very efficient process, efficient system. And then, of course, standardization is a big issue in supply chains because if you can standardize everything, if you can standardize pallets, containers, then you've got uniform sizes of things so you know what's going to fit on a pallet or in a container. 20-foot equivalent, 40-foot equivalent. If you've got those universal standards, you can simply move goods around in boxes and on pallets easily. And that was a big development. Then you've got the... Other standards in terms of the ISO, the international standards, such as quality standards, 9000, 9001, 2, 3, 4, etc., etc. And all those standards are important for making things consistent across the supply chain. The development of the Humble Barcode, of course, was a really good development because it meant you could track goods and you could keep track of the movements of the stock across distance and you could actually put other detail on the barcode about pricing you could keep track of prices easily so that was a very innovative new technology when it first came out and of course it's still being used today and then you've got the radio frequency identity tags now very cheap to produce and those are on most goods that are being moved around the globe There's some kind of RFID tag or a sensor, because sensor technologies are cheap, to keep track of goods. In the late 1990s, organisations began to look at their suppliers. And there was a lot of discussion about supply chain partnerships and having the right partners. And collaboration became a key focus. And this collaboration was important because it meant that if you had trusted suppliers who were able to deliver to your requirements on time, complete, every time. That meant that you could operate your just-in-time supply chains efficiently. And so a lot of companies at that point began to thin down their supplier bases. And that meant dropping off lots of suppliers from the list. In other words, delisting them to get the numbers down so that you had fewer suppliers that you could work more closely with. Of course, with resilient supply chains, that may not be a strategy that's key because a resilient supply chain wants backup. It needs to call on suppliers as and when to make goods for the organisation to deliver the customer promise. And the other key thing is that you need to be thinking about having arrangements in place that balance risk and trade-offs. And so that means you might deal with somebody today as a mainstream supplier, a tier one supplier, but uh, you might have your tier two and tier three suppliers back up as maybe a tier one supplier drops out. Maybe one of the tier twos is able to move in to a tier one position or maybe you have just companies that you've dealt with on an ad hoc basis to fill in that's able to join the supplier list so there are different things you can do to make this arrangement work effectively as well as efficiently many companies 
in the past 20 years. They wanted to thin down that supplier base because they said it cost them to deal with the numbers of suppliers and they just wanted to keep that base low so that they only had to deal with few suppliers at any one time. But of course, resilient strategies increase the supplier base because you don't want the risk of relying on just a few suppliers. So there's going to be some trade-off in, in that measure. And then, of course, there's all the information technology developments, spreadsheets still used by many. I go on to many webinars and many discussions online. And quite a number of people say they're still working on spreadsheets. Well, it's about time you transform to the digital revolution. Spreadsheets were very important, of course, because they were they made calculations very easy to do on a computer screen and to keep track of things. It helped to keep track, but we've got better technologies that do that today. But the humble spreadsheets are still valuable for all sorts of other reasons. The development of trackers, sensors, mobile technologies, geographical positioning systems, all very important to keep track of goods on the move. And cloud technologies now make data visible to all parties who need that data in the supply chain. So the move to data transformation to get this data into those systems is very important and of course procure to pay systems and then of course there's all the cost accounting the activity-based costing transaction costing lifetime cycle costing product cost discounted cash flows internal rates of return all net present value all those different types of costing methods that we're able to apply to goods in the supply chain and activities in the supply chain, more importantly. Total cost of ownership was another very important concept, of course, in the accounting arena. And it was necessary in supply chains because when you're talking about having inventories and large quantities of those inventories around, you need to know how much it's costing to keep that stock in your business. And so there was a pre-total cost of ownership that had to be assessed and that was the sourcing and procurement element then there was a cost of keeping it in your warehouse and distribution system and then there's the cost of moving it on to the customer and any post ownership costs for example if it's a product that needs to be recycled and come back as uh, in waste format to the organization that reprocessing has to be built into the cost of the item itself Inventory, of course, big part of any supply chain. You've got to keep track of that inventory, where it is, where it's moving, what's blocking it. And lots of modeling and simulation programs model these inventory systems to see where blockages occur and what's happening in any chain. And that's quite useful to understand the nature of a supply chain from the outside or within and we're interested in knowing minimum stock values, maximum stock values, average values, and what buffer inventories are needed, and so on and so forth. All about moving that stock through the system smoothly. And so we've moved, I suppose, over those 70 years from a supply push model of supply chains from production, saying this is what we've made and it's ready when you are, and we're going to give it to you now, as opposed to the modern view which is a demand pull system which focuses on the needs of the customer and it's the customer that pulls through and triggers the demand and we should always keep 
sight of the customer. And when we talk about customers in a supply chain, there are many customers in the supply chain. We're not just talking about the end-to-end supply chain from point of origin to the final customer, but at each node, there is a customer involved in that supply chain. And so all those things from the past are still with us and they're still around, but we've come a long way in terms of understanding the materials and mechanisms and methods that can manage a supply chain both efficiently and effectively, which is the aim. Well, that's it for this episode of the Ghost of Christmas Past. And next time, there'll be a special edition on the Ghost of Christmas Present. Hmm. So, I'm looking forward to that one. I hope you do too. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm Tony Hines. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction podcast all about supply chain advantage. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines.